They're not to stay home and send somebody else. They were the ones, this is your job, you need to do it. And I want you to know, you're children of the king, and your job when you leave the hill tonight is to live for God in every arena of your life, is to engage in doing good and being salt and being light. And if you will do what you're supposed to do, you won't have time to do what you're not supposed to do. It's kind of simple, right? There's this one of, the, one of the armor that we have been issued by God. It's God's own armor. And he calls it the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, of course, covers your heart, the most important organ. It's where death could happen so quickly. And so it covers the biggest bulk of your body and the, and the thinking center of the mind is the breastplate of righteousness. People debate what that is. I don't think it's the righteousness that God gives you. I think it's the righteousness you respond to him with. I, my breastplate, what protects the most vulnerable part of me is when I decide to do the right thing. I'm going to believe the right thing, what scripture says. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to engage in righteousness because if you are doing the right thing, then you are not doing the wrong thing. So the best thing you can do to protect your heart as you battle is be engaged in doing right things. David wasn't. Idleness is the devil's workshop. You've heard that before, right? Idleness is not so much wrong because you're doing wrong. Idleness is bad because you're not doing right. And you're sitting there in neutral and most often, that's what is the devil's workshop, as he just loves to play with that. The first thing after verse 1 is, what would have been, what might have been if he would have been doing what he should have been doing all along? Uh, and so here you see in verse 2, it happened late one afternoon. Here's what happened. When David arose from his couch, and he was walking on the roof of the king's house, he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. What might have been if he had left with a glance rather than with a gaze that he maintained? I don't fault him for walking on the roof. Although I'll tell you, when kings walk on roofs, bad things happen, right? When you walk on your roof, bad things happen too, probably. But I want you to, those of you who remember VBS, right? Do you remember a certain king in the book of Daniel who was walking on his roof? Anybody remember this in Daniel chapter 4? Anybody remember the king's name was? Nebuchadnezzar. And he's walking on his roof. And the reason why they like to do this, they're overlooking. It's a little higher than everywhere else. And so they're looking over their kingdom. They're looking out there. And where, Daniel, where David was, it's kind of a narrow city. He could see a lot of the city. I've been in Albania uh, uh, before and, and these big high rises. And when you go out there, you can look into any apartment in the area. It's, you can see stuff, I promise you, right? So it's possible. It's not a good idea to be walking up there, it seems to me. But when Nebuchadnezzar was walking out there, he said, look at all this stuff I've done. Boom! For a year, what's he doing? Eating grass like a cow, right? So really, kings should have a rule, no walking on the roof, really. But David is walking on the roof, and he looks down, and he sees this beautiful woman. Has he sinned? Uh, you need to do this with high school students, junior high, because here's the question. You know, Jesus has that statement. 
who looks after a woman to lust after her in his heart has sinned already, committed adultery already in his heart? The idea is, when does lust start? When does the sin really start? Because we live in a culture, you can't control the images that come into your brain. Well, some of them you can. And if you can, you should. Probably you should have a filter on your internet at home. Because you can. But i got to tell you, you'll get a text. You, you, some of you, we've talked about this, they go around, they'll send you text, and they send it to 23 or 24 people, and it's the raunchiest kind of stuff. You have no control over it. You're walking in school, and there's somebody wearing something that's just, you know, very little. You can't do anything about it. I'm telling you, don't worry and don't preach at her, right? I'm asking you, what should you do at that moment? You control you. David cannot control that he looked at a beautiful woman who was having a bath. I used to say to young people, her name, if she'd taken a shower, would have been Shower Sheba. Wouldn't that be cool? Anyway, so she watched, taken, can't control that. It comes into his head. He's got the image there, okay? What's wrong is what he does after that. What he does with that image in his head. What might have been if that would have been a gaze and he said, oh, I don't need to be here. He goes back, he takes a cold shower, he watches Sports Center, he plays kickball with one of his other eight wives. I mean, he could have done any number of things to distract his mind. And can I tell you where the biggest part of the Christian life is of purity and holiness? It's between your ears, it's controlling your thoughts and the images that you have no control over entering your mind, but you have all the control of once it's there. Don't let these images play on the playground of your brain. Let me give you a verse. In fact, if you'll just turn to it, if you so inclined, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It is this, it's not exactly this context of sexual temptation like this, but it's valuable. Here's what, what Paul says. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. So it's not a physical war that we're fighting. The weapons of our warfare are not weapons of flesh, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ, being ready to punish disobedience. What he says is we, we gauge and monitor the mental mind of our lives. We have a dogged determination that when thoughts come into our head or when images come into our head that we cannot participate in, we also cannot fixate or mentally dwell upon. We take that thought captive. We execute it in the electric chair of our brain. It's one of the hardest skills, and I think we need to have a whole quarter with our young people. How to gauge your mind and control your thoughts. Because that's the biggest bulk of the Christian life. What might have been if it had been a glance, but he didn't let it become a constant gaze? Verse 3 of 2 Samuel 11. And David sent, and he inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of your Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
He does a Facebook stalking. He ghosts the woman. Who is that bathing woman? Here he is, a married man, married to several actually. And a married man should no longer inquire about another woman. True or false? The inquiry is one step into sin. There is no doubt about it. Listen, I'm going to have people say, oh, but just because you ordered doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. Have you ever been to a restaurant that they didn't take the menu away once you ordered? Anybody? They take the menu away when you make your choice. And when you make your choice of your spouse, that takes away the menu, y'all. They're all off bounds, every one of them. You made your choice. You put a ring on it, you and her. There's a ring there, and that means that the, the whole inquiry business is out of place. You see somebody, and you start looking them up on Facebook. Listen, you're already going to places you have no business being. What might have been if David had respected and loved his neighbor as himself? This is what's weird. He asks for some surveillance, and he sends out some PIs, right? And they gather this surveillance on her, and they give three pieces of information. And I love the way they put it. They put it in a question, as if to say, David, this is your stop sign. Here's your stop sign. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Eliam's an interesting character. David's closest advisor is Ahithophel, is his name. This is the son of his great advisor who follows him all his life until the end. This is also Uriah the Hittite's wife. The moment he says wife, it should be over, right? Now, I don't understand, and here's some of the weird questions I'm going to ask God. First of all, why did David get to live after this? I want to know why he still lived after this. The old boy should have been taken out according to the law, correct? Right? Adultery, right? That's one thing. But here's another thing. Why did you let these Old Testament people marry so many times and even have girlfriends on the side? Why'd you let that happen? I'd really like to know, but I'm sure by the time I get there, I won't have the guts to ask it. Not quite like that. I can say it down here like that, but once I get close, I'm going to say, you know, God, whatever you chose to do, that's fine with me. Just let me, you know. But I want to know why the girlfriends were allowed, right? In this case, it's Uriah the Hittite's wife. One of his primary warriors, you're going to read this later on, his inner circle of great warriors is Uriah. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to notice as the story goes on, we're not going to get there tonight, but as the story goes on, he's one of the most faithful. He cares about where the Ark of the Covenant is. This is a Hittite who is serving David with his entire being, but also he's converted over to the Israelite faith. This is an outsider who's been converted to the Israelite faith, and you're treating him like trash doing this. Totally off bounds, David. Totally uncool. What, what, what should he have done? Love his neighbor as himself. Respect your neighbor. Verse 4. So David sent messengers, took her, she came to him. He lay with her. She had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. This is a note to tell us that this baby that's going to happen can't be Uriah's. That's what it's there for. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. She sent and told David, I'm pregnant. 
What would have happened, what might have been, if he had allowed the law to be his boundary? The law of God is our boundary. This kind of defines us. This is our identity marker. We bump up against the boundaries of the law. I'll go this far, but when the law says this, that's where I can go no further. It should stop me. The will and the word of God, y'all, is to stop us. It's to say no further. In Psalm 19, he puts it this way. It's a, it, he rewards you, but it's also marking out dangerous territory. It is a boundary. So look at the verbs in the passage that David did. These are the verbs applied to David. Verse 2, David saw. Verse 3, David sent. Verse 4, David took. And if you remember Samuel being so upset by the suggestion that a king be put over God's people, he said, let me tell you what a king's going to do. He's going to take Take, 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 take. He's going to take your kids, put them in his army. Take your money and buy whatever he wants. Take your kids, take all these things that you've got. Take your property. He's going to take, take, take. And they all know he won't do that. And what does David do here in this chapter? He takes this woman. I guess he's used to that. He took Abigail too, but at least he waited till the husband was dead. This time he became the cause of death for the woman's husband. This is just a bad picture of David. God's word is not like um, good suggestion for you. It's not like uh, God's thinking aloud giving you options. God's word really is to have the authority. We serve King Jesus, right? And his will that guides the citizens of the kingdom that is his, is his word. The Ten Commandments, you honor marriage. You don't interfere in the marriage of others. We don't covet. We don't kill. We don't steal. So David breaks four of them all in one chapter of his life and more. The law should serve as your leash. Sounds like a terrible image, treating us like dogs. But, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it's appropriate. After all, he does worse than that, calling us sheep a lot, right? It's our leash. It lets us go so far. But listen, even God's people sometimes think that they deserve this extension on God's limits. It's like, I should be, be given an exemption for my behavior. Do we ever do that? Do we give ourselves exemptions? I know I shouldn't do this. I know what Scripture says. And then we follow it, comma, but, and we just walk, march right through the stop sign. You ever hear this? Oh, well, grace is amazing. Sin isn't so bad then. The number one problem I have with the grace conversation people have is people who are really heavy on grace find themselves very light on sin. Like God's grace is going to cover everything, and so I don't need to be all that concerned about sin. Any view of grace that minimizes sin is the wrong view. Because sin is still a big deal, and God has given us, it's not that God's going to punish us all the time. It is that sin is bad for you. It is bad for the human being. God knows it. He created us. Sin would be like you get your manual of your vehicle out of your glove compartment, and you open it up. Sin is anything the manufacturer says, listen, we know how this thing's to run. Don't do this, or you void your warranty. They know how this machine is to be run. And you say, well, I want to go off-roading anyway in my Oldsmobile or whatever. Well, don't do that. 
right? Because that's not what you're supposed to do. God says the same thing for us. So after David repents in Psalm 51, after he repents of this event, he says, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore my resolve, because David says, my resolve to give you my best was diminished. It's like this, you know how low can you go when you skated? Anybody remember this? I am really aging myself. How low can you go when you ice skate or roller skate? And you, and you, and you get as low, and some people were amazing at this. I never even tried it. But it's the idea, how low can you, and, and here's what, it's like, it's like when I become a Christian, I, I want to give God all this. But over time, I start going, well, this is good enough. Uh, well, you know, he's gracious, this is good enough. And suddenly you're looking at it and you're going, it's sitting on the ground. I'm not really giving him anything at all. And David says, I'm alarmed that I let myself get there. I want to put it back up where it needs to go. That's what renew my steadfast spirit within your steadfast spirit within me is. I need to put it back up there. The law is God saying to us, if you proceed past this point, you will hurt yourself. What might have been if David viewed law that way? We'll talk about the rest of the story next time, but here's what I would say. Rather than fighting war, he stayed at home, and he used his power to send others, and he stayed at home. If we would be active doing the right thing, we won't be engaged in the wrong thing. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Other than, rather than distract his mind, he dwelled on this woman and used his power to sin for her. Gauge and monitor your mind. The secret to holiness, the major part of the battle, the Christian life, is not on some battlefield out here on earth. It's between your ears. The Bible tells us that a lot. Rather than respect the law, he ran right through it, and he unleashed its consequences. John tells us that his commands flow out of the nature of God. They're not burdensome. They are for our good. And the psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And he answers in this very same verse, by living according to your word. Your word is my counselor, he says. And the Bible talks about that a lot, that we would heed that is great wisdom. And rather than respect the relationships of others, he abused people. I'd like to talk more about it. We will talk more about this, but he abused this woman treating her as a piece of meat. And men have a tendency to do that. And that's not what God's word calls us to. We're to care enough about people as people and not be a stumbling block to them, but respect them. One last word that we're going to say, it comes from the very last verse of this chapter. And what it looks like is that David conspires and he covers it up really good and it looks like he's going to get away with it and he's scots-free. It looks like after you get out of chapter 11, it looks like, you know what, he did it. He did all these awful things and then you know what, nothing happened. He went to bed that night, he woke up the next day and for the next 360 days of his life, everything seemed okay. It's like, I got away with it. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And that just hangs there at the end of the chapter, just hangs there. And it's going to govern everything through chapter 20, at least. It looks like we can get away with this. And by the way, listen, I look at the world and I see the world doing what it does. I'm like, it doesn't seem to hurt them, does it? 
The psalmist talks about this a lot. It doesn't seem to do, they're doing whatever they want and they're getting away with it. And we're trying to, we're trying to restrain ourselves and live by the Christian ethic. And yet they in the world doing whatever they want to, most, a lot of it ungodly. We're looking at why, why aren't they having to pay anything for this? But sometimes God's people are no different. We divorce just as much as people in the world do. Look at our recent history. Our young people sleep together before marriage just like the world does. And it's like they, they do that and then they go, oh, you know, I'm going to feel guilty. And they wait for the thunder and the lightning and the fire to come down and nothing happens. They're like, well, I got away with it scot-free. But listen, what you're doing displeases the Lord and it hangs there. And in his grace, he doesn't do anything immediately. But sometimes his grace emboldens us to sin more, actually, doesn't it? Because we think we're getting away with it. But don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. And some of it is not even in the hands of God. You've unleashed that upon yourself. And every sin committed, while it can be atoned for, does damage that a lot of times can't be fixed with prayer or anything like that. Lives can't be recovered. Purity can't be retained. This chapter gives us pause. What might have been if he'd have done this different? But what you have as you start a whole new week is you're making choices in real time. This is given to us so that we can look back at it and say, what could have been? How should he have done it different? You're starting this week. You're looking out over a life that's going to happen to you in real time. You've got choices still right now about how you are going to decide to navigate the things that come your way this week. How about just choosing to do it as best you can according to the will of God and not create the mess at all? If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, whether to sin in your life you need to repent of, or maybe you need to make Jesus Lord of your life, whatever is the proper response for you, make it known as we stand and as we sing the song. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Or your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
Do you rest each moment?